Hello, everyone. So good to be here with y'all today for our 27th episode of A Girl Like Me Live, which is a live interactive series that we do here at The Well Project, where we feature different women from the community to talk about issues that impact our health and well-being. I am so honored to be here today with Kim Kennedy, and um, who is one of our community advisory board members. And I'm going to give you a moment to introduce yourself further. Um, hey, everyone. My name is Kim Kennedy. Um, I'm a community advisory board member, um, born positive. So that's 36 years. I almost forgot how old I was. <laughs> um, been... Uh, advocate, activist, especially um, specializing in reproductive health, um, sexual pleasure, um, yeah, just all around, around the way, girl. Talk about HIV and sex. I love that. So we are here today to talk about, you know, our she, her, they programming, some different things that we've been doing in the community. And um, for those of you who don't know, I'll I'll remind you, she heard they. It is sexual health education, HIV empowerment resources, and treating HIV equally. That is one of our programs. It's a um, multifaceted educational outreach initiative focusing on improving engagement in health outcomes, care, and well-being for women living with HIV while promoting a cultural wellness through a holistic and non-stigmatizing lens. So that's a lot of words to say what we are going to break down today very eloquently, I'm sure, um, through our different poster presentations and different conversations with community that have been happening over the past few months. So um First, your involvement with She Heard They, it has been phenomenal in the impact that we've been able to see in different environments. Um, that poster, no, it wasn't a poster you presented back in, forget what month it was, but in Houston. August. It was August? It was hot. Okay. It was August. I will not forget. Okay. Thomas <laughs> died from the heat. <laughs> Okay, and it was Houston. Yeah. Which conference? Um, so I got asked to go present with Olivia Ford um, on the Let's Talk About Sex conference. It was amazing. I think for me, it was one of the, I've been to different conferences before and after, but I would say for my reintroduction back into conference mode, cause there's a mode that you get into for conferences. Um, that was one of the best that I can go into where it's women, uh, people who identify as women and from black and brown, um, indigenous women all coming together, our allies coming together and just talking about different things that encompasses reproductive justice, health. Um, at that time, the abortion ban just came out um, with Roe versus Wade, so it was heavy on that topic, but just to have community come together, no bras, <laughs> titties just flapping, like <laughs> us just being women, being women, having that conversation, just walking through different convention doors. It was uh, an amazing space to be in. Oh, so that sounds like a cool space to be in. Like, let's talk about sex. Did you did you get to talk about sex? 
I did. That was the best part. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to um, present with Olivia on she, her, they. Well, the let's talk about sex um, abstract that we had. And it was from the it was from what happened at the WRI previously the year before. Um, and it was really about talking about reproductive health and how we can integrate, inter, inter, I can't get my words together. Yes, I couldn't get it out today. I don't know what's going on. Um, a list. You said what? Intergate is going to go on the list. It's going to go on the list of good words. Um, <laughs> integrate reproductive health, sexual pleasure into HIV when we're talking to doctors, um, Sexual pleasure is something that is never really discussed, if if it is, when it comes to providers, when it comes to going to the doctor. Um, it's us as women, we talk about it together for the most part, but it's not a normalized conversation. So how can we make sexual pleasure a highlight and talk about that and the importance of not just going for a routine checkup, but actually talking about are we enjoying sex? What does that look like? And having the doctor or the provider being the one that's being able to ask that questions, but also us to guide that conversation. So it was, it was refreshing to be in a space where um, we didn't really promote us being there because you had to go through an app for people to pick different um, workshops. And it was a lot of workshops. It was me thinking like, I want to go to these workshops, but I'm presenting. Mm -hmm. And just to have about 15 people in our room and them staying after just to engage and have more conversations was an amazing, amazing experience to have. It sounds decent, but I keep getting distracted by your hoodie. I just keep seeing something. It look like masturbation. Oh, masturbation. Oh, wait, that's never image. No, it's right. Tequila okay. wings in that order. Mm -hmm. Got it. Because these are important. Cool. So this is, yeah. All right. So thank you for wearing it today so appropriately for our HIV. <laughs> women and sexual pleasure episode. I think it's really interesting when you say um, and being able to share space with so many other people who get it. Like pleasure does not come up in a conversation often, and I, I don't know even know if at the age of thirty five did I know what pleasure truly is and what that means and how my HIV diagnosis has impacted how I feel or feel that I deserve pleasure mm -hmm. or those types of things that you were able to get in there or was that more of that um the presentation that we did in Puerto Rico at the USCHA so I think that the let's talk about sex was the icebreaker for um for Puerto Rico so it was like a soft landing of coming in of just introducing what sex and pleasure could look like um, but really talking about the provider aspect of asking more questions, us knowing what questions we want to ask, but how to integrate that into a conversation was more or less talk about sex. Puerto Rico at the USEHA conference, that was completely different. The panel discussion, I feel with me, you, um, Araya, Portia, um, us four different women coming from different perspectives of where we are at, as people who are living with HIV or working in the field, um, our experiences just as women, period, and in talking about what sex looks like. Um, 
the comments <laughs> popping up is distracting. <laughs> but um, that was completely different because it was like what they call kitchen table talk. All of us coming together and just vibing out off of each other on top of the fact that it was hot outside and freezing inside <laughs> and um, three out of four of us not having any voice but to have the room so packed where people were sitting down on the floor and could not get into the room and then stayed after, not just to ask questions, but to hear more of us talking and then coming to us to have this conversation and just to hear the feedback of people talking about what sexual pleasure looks like for them or just sex looks like for them. We don't talk about sex. We don't normalize sex, period. And to have an open space like that where you have different women with unique voices, it's it's amazing. I keep saying amazing, but I really like talking about making the uncomfortable comfortable. So I think the irony of the uniqueness of our voices when no one had one, as Heather just said, like and how loud and powerful they still were in a room. So that was a workshop that we completed. Um that we did, as Kim said, in at the U.S. Conference on HIV and AIDS back in October. That was phenomenal. I saw in the comments that the Let's Talk About Sex was actually in Dallas. I went, oh, correct it. Was it. Hot. But <laughs> wherever it was, it was hot. <laughs> My hair burned. That's how it, no, seriously, like it was so hot that I didn't realize coming from New York in the summertime and then going to it's not important, but it, it was a factor for me where I know protective hairstyle. My hair literally was burning off. That's how hot it was. Like I can, it was breaking from the heat. It was hot. Okay. But I would go back though. I'm so glad that the conference was so amazing though. And then that y'all were able to, you know, vamp that energy up, ramp it up for Puerto Rico because that conversation was phenomenal. I, I, I wouldn't have a better way to describe it than a kitchen table talk. Like um, sitting on a panel with other women who are living with HIV, the experiences being so vast. Mm -hmm. So you had, you know, two of you who were born with HIV, one woman of trans experience, and then me, a cisgender woman who contracted it later on in life. Um, those experiences and how just as women, pleasure doesn't come up. And then when you intersect that with HIV, mm -hmm. like, coming to the realization or those aha moments that, oh, wow, like what is pleasure actually? And what is sexual health? And I can take some power back with that. Like there are things that I questions that I can ask a provider like this conversation can be initiated there because for a lot of us you know the the people that are looking inside of our bodies like that seems like it should be the most we are at a very vulnerable spot so why aren't these conversations coming up I think sometimes for providers it can be hard as I just saw a comment just come up even in the community just talking about sex like you have to have a cold word for it mm. I wonder you know what what drives those things why if we can't talk about sex how are we even going to be able to begin talking about pleasure so I think defining what so it's 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 a compacted question 
but because it's one is what do you define as sex? And I think that most people have different understanding of what sex looks like or sex acts or um, things that intertwine with sex. So I think for us as black and brown women, and I can speak, I'll speak for myself. I grew up in a really religious household. We wasn't talking about sex. We wasn't talking about touching your bodies. You was, it was talked about, don't let nobody else touch your body. So to have that from where I live and then to go into look at everybody else's home life, what is normalized around women, um, us being over-sexualized just in history, and then us as women not coming together fully to have these conversations and then expect somebody else as a provider who was like, I got 20 minutes to make sure you're okay with your medication, make sure that you're good moving forward for the next four to six months. That's not a priority priority to them because it's not a normal conversation of when it comes to health or even with HIV. So to ask them and expect them to be open, it's hard because a lot of them is just stuck in, I, would, I don't wanna say stuck in their ways, but it's like stuck in the regimen that they were conditioned to do just like we were. So to expect us to have this conversation or expect them to have that conversation, it's gonna take some work because even just saying the word sex is hard and then think of pleasure when a lot of us don't even have a pleasurable life. Like pleasure isn't something that we put into our everyday life, especially as women, because a lot of us has to get up, get the kids up. You have to go to work, go to school, clean up, go get grocery shopping. Nothing about that is pleasurable. So to even think of what we want and what we need just in society, period, why would we equate that to a healthy sex life or an, a pleasurable sex life at that? So that that factor, sometimes your needs, because I think of it in my busy, crazy life that I do a lot for other people. So to think of pleasure sometimes is a hard concept to do. And I think that a lot of women relate to that or a lot of people relate to that, that Pleasure is an afterthought. So now I was trying to put that in your forefront of making that an everyday situation is I need to enjoy. I need to enjoy. Yes. Um, I want to go back to the comment. Okay, we could sit here. Such a great point to um, put it, Kim. Talking about pleasure even outside of our sex lives. Yes, uh, I really, I agree with that. And then Bridget was saying how people have a hard time differentiating sex and sexuality. Mm. And yes, I would say that that is true. And trying to like go back to my community and explain these concepts, you know, because there are a lot of misconceptions or a lot of misunderstandings that are there. Sometimes it's a little frustrating because, you know, you have to be willing to have those conversations so that mm -hmm. we forward and sometimes those are not the easiest conversations to have so I appreciate safe spaces you know spaces where I can come and be vulnerable and say I don't understand and then get that knowledge and go back to my community so I can you know you help me I help somebody else mm -hmm. um, yes and I'm, I'm sorry I don't <clears throat> the next comment said but the well project said 1000% on all of this <laughs> Yes. Um, after that, that workshop in Puerto Rico at USCHA, 
it was first of all the room was packed i don't know how the room was able to be packed it's so early in the morning you know it was one of the first sessions early miserably cold but you know to keep pointing those things out is to say that there's a great interest in this conversation and one of the most memorable points i mm -hmm. had was when it was a white gay male who approached the panel afterwards and he came up and he said you know i understand that i'm not a black woman but so many of these points hit home for me you know mm -hmm. a lot of like sexual trauma which had impacted us earlier in life you know which made many of us in that room that day because we got claps and everything you know to feel like they couldn't or shouldn't experience pleasure or the reasons why we're having sex like is it even from the initiation of it is it desired to be is it designed to be pleasurable for me or for the other person mm -hmm. persons who are engaged in that act and taking back that power taking back that power um that or was even phenomenal. or even in the exhibit hall um we're just winding down going back to our tables and the older white woman who lives down South, who clearly you could, there's a difference between me, you and her just coming and relating and starts to cry. And we're both there. Like I, I, somebody cries next to me. I get uncomfortable, but to fight the uncomfort is something that I'm working through because I felt what she was saying of how much she can relate to us on all the topics that we were talking about and how she was going to bring that back to her organization and to talk to the people that's around her about what we was talking about and how how to make that important to highlight that, I think was one of the, the takeaways that I took was that we are reaching not just people of color, that this is a topic that is around everybody, like not just us, but everyone. And to see that in the room, but also see them approaching us outside was, an overpowering, overwhelming feeling, but a good overpowering, overwhelming feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember crying too. That mm -hmm. It was, I mean, you wouldn't even think that tears would be coming from talking about like sexual pleasure, HIV and women, but it felt like such a big weight lifted off. Like, oh, other people are experiencing this too. Or yeah. people have suggestions, try this, you know, address this. So that was that was awesome. Um, Ebony has said that she loves that we have the opportunity within each other to discuss pleasure and seeking joy through sexual pleasure. I think that was what the rest of the comments said. Um, yeah, I, I, it's so important. It is so very important. So we at the you know a community conference, but then we got the opportunity to go to the international workshop on HIV and women. Kind of a different audience we had. <laughs> there was a different presentation of the information as well. We did a poster this time. You presented mm -hmm. a poster. What was that experience like? That experience was different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this one was in Seattle, Washington, um, which Seattle is very rainy. Um, I knew from Grey's Anatomy, but I didn't know how rainy it was. It was nonstop raining. Um, I'm y'all gonna 
like Ken really likes the weather, but these weathers have factors. Okay, so it's, it's, it was cold. Um, it was very provider-based. It was researchers. At that moment of me going, well, me accepting to go felt a little at odds because in my head, I don't see myself as a researcher. I just see myself as a regular person who's doing the work and sometimes forget that we all have different hats. So it's, I, in, in my head, it was that self-doubt that I don't belong here. I don't even look like the people that should be in the room. But then understanding and psyching myself up, um, it was one of those things where I was like, wait, I am a researcher because I find a topic or I'm presenting a topic. I'm doing the extra research. I'm researching. I'm looking the stuff up. I'm putting the stuff down. Like We don't give ourselves these titles that we deserve. Um, we just call ourselves, we minimize our impact to the world or the we minimize the work that we do. And I can say that for me, that changed the narrative in my head to think about how I, how I show up and how I want to show up just in my work. And now I'm in my head, like I'm a researcher. So sure. that was amazing. Might not be a doctor, but I'm a researcher though. That's, that's <laughs> on the end of it. <laughs> so presenting that, I never did a guided tour. I never did a presentation. I never presented a poster. I've always been doing workshops and presentations. So um, it was a lot of prep work of asking everybody else who was whoever did a poster tour, but to do a guided poster tour was a different experience of we sat in a room with a collective of like maybe a hundred or so um, providers, social workers, doctors, researchers, women in the field, um, people who just wanted to learn and watch different people present on their abstracts and their findings. And then by the end of the day, because it was a really long day, by the end of the day, after sitting in this one room, so it's not like conferences where you go to different places, one room all day. <laughs> which was a lot, <laughs> but we got to sneak off and take a break and then come back. So that was amazing. But they had all our posters out in the front. So when you walked inside the room, you could just view the posters here and there. And then to go in the next room um, at like the end of the day and you have 15 minutes to present your poster and people just ask you questions about what your poster is about. And you're, you're selling basically your concept like your hypothesis of like, this is what I came up with. This is what's happening. This is my research. And this is what our organization is doing. And to see that even though all of us had different ideas or different things, some was talking about hepatitis, um, HPV, breastfeeding, um, what that looks like in different regions. And to see me, which was one of the only people that was talking about sex um, and pleasure, and the importance of it. And then just in that small little cluster of people talking about, I wish my doctor was would ask me how sex was. I wish we could normalize this conversation and then morph into another conversation about being moms or, you know, the, the being, it's tiring being a mom, the everyday mundane life, but then also, you know, how do you even talk about pleasure period to people? So like just to have, this poster morphed into a, a a mini kitchen table talk of us like supposed to be five to ten minutes just presenting and talking and it's I, I, I felt it was one of the most engaging 
um, guided poster tours. Just everybody else's was cool, but I think mine was <laughs> not to think my own horn, but it was it was pretty dope just to have like a real conversation on all the heavy research that was there, and it was something that was if we can do that more often where we use the research, but then also make it relatable to people so we can have this conversation because so many times we go to these conferences and don't understand what they're talking about. And you're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, okay. And then move on to the next one, but to have somebody break it down in a sense of like, nah, this is something that we all need to talk about and this is why it's important. This is why we need to normalize this conversation. And this is why you should start having at least one conversation, one question like to bring to your 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 client or how to change up just the form of the intake form or just to not put it all on STIs or HIV and just to break that into a, a, a conversation that doesn't feel uncomfortable. And then to have that around different providers and people talking about that. From all around the world. Like all it, around the world. It was from it was Africa. International conference. Africa, Australia. And all of us were just talking about, like, relating to the same thing. And to see that's a common goal. Like, I think I, I think after that day, I was like, <laughs> I could do this anywhere. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was powerful. Ebony said, yep, you stood out when talking about sex. And it was powerful to see. I definitely agree with that sentiment. Well, thank you, Ebony. Teresa's in here. She says her mission to free the people one person at a time. Yes. Yes. Um, I like where you just mentioned, you know, you are here to, or being able to get that information broken down so that it's digestible by, you know, multiple populations of people. I think that we do a really good job of doing that. And then B, you know, using community to do so. So, you know, being able to have parts in uh, creating an abstract and then it getting accepted. And then what do you do it? How, do with that? How do you create? Oh, you have to create a whole poster and then being able to be there to present the poster. You know, I think that experience is like no other like no other um then i wanted to talk about a little bit about you equals you because you just you know just said about not just stis not just hiv and then where you equals you kind of plays into that conversation for myself um we get so used to going to the doctor just to make sure that we are still undetectable or have reached an undetectable status and, you know, to check on our mm -hmm. T-cells and how many of those count. Like, are those only the only things that we should be considering when we go to the doctor? There are so many other, <laughs> there are so many other facets of being a human than, you know, just those things. In an HIV status, um, having a positive HIV status kind of sometimes can put you in a situation where you have to advocate for things mm -hmm. that are important to you. And sex and pleasure happens to be something that is important to me. So when I've had a few experiences where, you know, maybe I felt like that conversation should have come up and I let the provider know in that moment, 
yo, I think this conversation should have came up. If I'm coming to the OBGYN and I'm getting my IUD looked at, then why are conversations not coming up there about anything? Like, clearly I'm having sex because I'm reaching out to you to prevent pregnancy. So I feel like those are such great opportunities to bring in the conversation of sex, pleasure, HIV prevention, strategies, tools for my partner, like, but none of that happened. I just Mm. walked out of there with, you know, my IUD and whatever. (laughs) Well, one, thank you for getting your IUD because it could have went left and it could have said not even touching anything related to anything on your body because you're positive because that was something that happened a long time ago. And even in some places, people won't even give you the birth control that you have requested that you can get. So just saying yay for that. That's one. And then also, and yay for you saying that that's what I need. That's what I want, which is, I think, a, an important part. You've been recognizing that <clears throat> there's a service that I want. And then I'm actually going to get up and I'm going to go do that. And I'm going to go receive that. That in itself is just a, it's a big step that most women, most people don't do. How many times have we said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go do this and we don't do it at all. So just to say, I'm going to go to the doctor, I'm going to find a doctor, I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to get this IUD. That's a huge step. Now, the next step is having that conversation. And it's hard. Even I say for me, somebody who is, sex positive and screams from the mountaintop. Yesterday I wore a different hoodie that was a, <laughs> that was more outlandish than this one. And but it brought up a conversation. And I think that there's some days when I go to the doctor, I don't I don't want to talk. I really just want to hear this is what it is. I want to go. But I'm also that part of me that teaches this, that is in this field. When I don't hear specific questions, I am the one, all right, so my sex life is great, or it's, it's, it's not, I'm not having sex. Okay, Kim. And then it's like, shouldn't you ask, hey, um, so maybe we should start, you asked me about my career, let me tell you what I'm doing now. Like me and my doctor were cool. I, I love my, chef's kiss, love my doctor. Um, I don't really have that problem with her, um, but she, said, told something to me, she said something to me like about a year ago when it's almost been a year, Jesus, right before um, I started going to the conference, um, let's talk about sex. And she was like, it's hard to initiate these conversations when most people are not open. And like, what do you ask? So even though I wasn't in the mood to have an educational moment um, and I just really wanted to get my care and get out because it was a long walk to my car and I was tired. It was still me giving her suggestions. So I think us having these little tools in our toolbox that we have to just sprout out, but then also them using that and practicing how we want them to look at. They want us to come in be forthcoming with information and you should be studying my chart and asking these questions as well. So I think it's a, a twofold situation where we both, have to have that kind of responsibility of forthcoming with the information of like, I don't like, I don't enjoy sex. And it's important because that affects me with me being HIV positive. It affects my mental health because I used to enjoy sex, 
this isn't me. I'm just saying as an example because mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that. But <laughs> like, but that could be somebody else's reality. Is I'm not enjoying it. But since I've I've noticed in the last few months, you know, it hurts when this happens, or I don't feel as aroused as I used to. Like, what could that be? So being able to recognize that, you know, I actually like my doctor and I'm comfortable to have that conversation. I'm already, that's half the battle. And I think a lot of us, if you're not in care, that's a factor. Or those social determinants that... It goes again. Yeah, social determinants, that's a, a part of our life that plays a big factor. And also, I think Ebony said it or somebody else said it about they... Women are demonized for wanting to talk about having sex or just how history period puts us like portrays us women, black women, when it comes to sex, where we are it's in society where sex and pleasure is something that we should not be discussing because it's not about us. It's about, like you said, our partners. It's about satisfying them. So when it comes to us, it's like, oh. Let me get my good old toy. Let me get these good old fingers. Let me do what I got to do. Because that act is not really something that we talk about, about what we should want or what we should feel like. And that goes back in like slavery times, even before that. Or when we are talking about sex, we are labeled as over-sexualized. So why would we want to talk about that? Like nobody wants to really have that conversation until you need to have that conversation. And by that time, sometimes it's too late. Yeah, thanks for that. In this comment, I've only experienced questions about sex on intake forms, but never an active conversation with my provider. Mm-hmm. My therapist asked, though, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, um, I think, no, actually, my provider bringing up Sex and pleasure, because she used to have this pl- plush vagina. That's what it's called. Ooh, the plushy. <laughs> the whole joint. Yeah, and so it had all the parts of the... See, I don't even know all the names, and I'm 35 with two kids. So I can only imagine, you know, how many other people can share that with me. But she would show, and I just broke down crying in the office one day, and this is my ID doctor. I'm like, I hate my vagina. I hate my vagina. And I, at the moment, I couldn't understand how she related it to me, me, me in therapy. But mm. soon after I was, you know, enrolled with a therapist because, you know, the HIV diagnosis for me, because sex is how I contracted it, um, it felt mm-hmm. like it, it's a, it felt a certain type of way. Like my vagina has. It has um, let me down. It has betrayed me. This allowed me. And so going to therapy and beginning to talk some of those things out was definitely helpful because I hadn't realized how much HIV impacted me as a woman and my wants and my desires and how I was going about, you know, achieving those things. And that was a day for me that I really, I was able to wake up a little bit today because sex and pleasure like it can be pleasurable and some for some of us the introduction to sex like the first time I think this was a topic that came up during one of our presentations but how sometimes you know that first <clears throat> could have been so traumatic whether yeah. it was voluntary 
or not um that you pleasure like i don't even want to do that again but mm. everything in society tells you that you're supposed to be doing it and it's supposed to be good but those aren't my experiences like yo what is wrong with me but what is good for you and i think again have taken that we don't even take time to go get our nails done or just chill so then to figure out what does what feels good to me feels like at times like taking me out of my job at times it's like what's good for me what i, I just want to like it, it's not doesn't compute sometimes and other times it's like nah i want to get my nut too like i want to i want to feel tingly i want i want extra lube i want double penetrate i want that like i want to feel that and it's okay to feel that and i want to talk about it in a space that doesn't condemn me for wanting these things i want to have a conversation like this or with more women where we're all talking about it's okay that I label myself as a hoe. And I say hoe, not in the H-O-E, but the hoe with Jasmine Sullivan hoe, where we're all talking about I'm married and I'm a hoe with my husband. Like, we don't have these conversations. This isn't something that is brought up that is normalized. It's not a conversation of if I look good, I feel good. But if I look good, I feel good. I want to do more. So, like, and it's not for that person. It's not for my partner. It's for me. And the moment that we start saying that more, maybe that'll start changing the narrative of what sex and pleasure looks like, especially when it comes to HIV, because HIV is ugh, icky. No, ugh. Mm-hmm. nobody wants to talk about HIV. Do you put sex in HIV? Of course, it's going to be demonized, especially when, like for me, that's not my experience. I wasn't somebody who contracted HIV through sex. I Well, technically, my mama had sex and then <laughs> gave birth to me. So for me, my trouble was, I guess, my anxiety or the, I guess my, I would say the dark cloud for me and my hesitation more came for childbirth because I was born with HIV. So I guess that's the trigger for me. Um, but sex-wise, I was more so of terrified of passing it on to my partner, who's not my husband. Because it's I would never want to be that person or like on the the end to be the one that's giving it to somebody. But then he was more knowledgeable about HIV than I was at that time. And it's something that again, even when you're positive, if you're not actively going to find out what's in your body, when the doctor talks about T cells and viral load, that sounds like Charlie Brown. T cells, viral load, like. What is that? So you're not even taking that because now you just know that there's something different inside your head, inside your body that other people are scared of. So now you want now sex. It's like that's not even a factor. I'm trying to get my meds that without my insurance is what five thousand dollars. Been out the hard way. So look, you saying all of that. So I'm thinking you equals you again. Um because it was a comment. I'm, we got this conversation so great and robust. Um, you equals Joe. Did that change the conversation? Did 
around like sex and pleasure for you? Did that help at all? Has that helped any of those conversations come up with providers, your partners? That that that. So I would say you equals you. So here's something that people, most people know, most people don't know. When you equals you came out, we was already practicing that. A lot of us in the field, especially the teenagers, because like I'll speak for me and my friends. Growing up in the field, uh, growing up positive. And I live in New York, so I can say that my access to care, my access to knowledge, me working in the field already at 15 and that connection I had with different um, providers, I got a lot of information. Um, and I was actively reaching and getting information, but I had a really cool um, pediatrician. Like I love him hands down. If I can move to Honduras, I will be with him, even though he's retired, because that's how much I love my, my pediatric doctor and who's retired in Honduras. And I should not know that, but that's who he is. Um, <laughs> that's how connected I was. They had to kick me out. But he... <laughs> was somebody who broke everything down, not just to me, but also to my husband and explained that as long as I'm uh, what they call now an elite controller before it was a non-progressor. So my um, HIV is something, for those who don't know what that is, is I have a slow progressing HIV. It doesn't mutate as fast. Um, I got on medication for the first time without, minus my pregnancy. Um, at the age of 30 by choice, not because my body said, I hate you. It was like, I was like, let me get on, let me see what happens because they don't, there's no research on people who are born positive long term. So I just did that for myself and I lost my train of thought. Oh, he explained to me that as long as everybody else like takes their medicine, the risk of us giving it to them would be, um, it's low. And then for me, it's even lower because I'm a female. So kind of breaking down like what the vagina looks like, you know, what it looks like if I was to pass it on. Also knowing that I was naturally um, undetectable for years. So what that would look like, it's hard. It would be really, really hard to pass that on to my husband at that time who was my boyfriend. Um, he's the only person I've been with, so it's only one person. So <laughs> it's easy to just say that one person. Um, and then, like, he broke it down to me. And then my husband did some research, and then I did research. And then when U equals U was official, um, I was on meds, and then I was still nervous. So my husband, he got on meds. So it's not even just undetectable um, equals untransmittable. Now he's on prep. So we have me on meds, him on prep. That's the extra on the extra on the extra of the extra. We just extra over here. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a 1%, 2% chance? Nah, we don't like that odds. Mm -mm. Nah, we need a 1,000%. So that's what we are. We're working on a 1,000% over here, um, <laughs> which it don't need to be, but it's just something that we chose to do. So it's a big impact in our relationship, but it's also something that was an option that necessarily wasn't promoted years ago it was kind of like you had to hear it through the grapevine but like we knew you took your meds you good you undetectable you good so now it's just more it's solidified i would say that it's confirmed of something we already knew i love that community does we do be finding out stuff we just need to research to back it up that's it so. we, we, we know and then we tell each other like 
what would be the alternative? And I even think about, yeah, we're talking about sex and pleasure and prep and you equals you, but that's a big impact even on your side when it comes to breastfeeding. Like that's a fight that we're, we're still fighting. Or even just right now with having unprotected sex with you equals you. Most most doctors understand it, but even still talking about it makes them uncomfortable because it's this big thing in the room, HIV. A lot of people like me who's, I, I guess I'm an old head, but I'm young, who's <laughs> had it for so long, you know, we've seen what it looked like in 1995, 1996, early 2000, and now we're 40 years in and we see the before and after and a lot of us are still, including providers, so going off that fear of what was before to where we are now. So I think that's a big factor of how people move and how people see and how where stigma plays a part because we've seen the before and now we're in the after. Well, me, I'm almost 15 years in and I like unprotected sex. A oh, lot. me too. And Eliane says that good sex reduces stress, which for means me. great for mental health. But how do we enjoy sex in a world full of HIV stigma and you equals you is known, unknown publicly? Yeah, we're working on that right now. I want to ask that everyone would take a moment to please fill out our evaluation today. It's a quick survey, three minutes tops. You could be done quicker than that, but we just want to get some feedback. Our episodes are um, and our discussions are what we want to talk about. Are these things that we really want to dwell into and hear? So please give us that feedback so we can continue to provide great programming for, you know, our community. Um, it was a great point. I wanted to, Renisha, she it was a woman in the comments. She says that she was recently diagnosed um, and this is hard. And please, please make sure that you get in touch with someone if someone hasn't reached out yet. Please um, reach out so that we can get you, you know, the support of this sisterhood. Um, it was something else that Ebony had mentioned was how was this conversation? How were we, you know, going to unpack this conversation with older women who are living with HIV? Mm. And Bridget said this, folks don't like to look at older people as still being vibrant and viable. Older women have sex. We need to talk about it. I remember when I was younger, I didn't, I couldn't imagine thinking about my mom having sex. Like that was the most disgusting. Like the day that it clicked in my head that in order for them to have three children, they had to have sex three different times. I was disgusted. And, and now I'm the mom. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm just continue. I'm just going to get older. And I don't see these desires or wants ever going away and watching older women, you know, that are older than me navigate that now. Mm. Um, I can only imagine because of the stigma that comes with not only living with HIV, but then as aging is a woman period. Like, and I can't imagine, I can't imagine. Do you ever get any chances to talk to older people who about sex and yeah. what what are those conversations like? So I think for me, I feel like it's a glimpse into when I get 
older than what I am. So like right now, first off, my son called me a boomer. And I said, the disrespect that I'm only 36. How dare you, young child? Like, <laughs> you can get out. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> like, when did it come out? <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, I've had conversations with older women and I'm like older than 50, like 60, 70. And just talking about what the best types of lube to use for you. Because after a while, you getting wet is could be a struggle during menopause. So what does that look like when our sex drive is going up, hits our peak when we're in our 40s and 50s, and then um, for men, it declines as they're getting older and then combating what that looks like or talking like you can still contract an STI. Just because we pass menopause does not mean that we cannot get anything. Like you can still get something. So that's still a conversation. I don't know what happens. It's like you get older and it's like, no, nah, I'm good. I can get no HIV is actually really high and prevalent in um, elder communities, but nobody wants to talk about that. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about that. And I think that if we have these conversations with, first off, I'm I'm a conundrum, I guess I would say. I'm somebody who believes that you need to start having these conversations with little kids, but it, it shouldn't look like penis into vagina. Like it's steps when it comes to sex education. So talking about consent, talking about good consent looks like allowing somebody in your space and not wanting somebody in your space and talking about what good touch, bad touch looks like, but then also just going up and moving up with that as we get older and then still continuing the conversation in the elder community or people over 50. Because even then it's, or then talking about elder abuse or talking about what that looks like, elder sexual abuse and how, what that looks like. And I don't think, or people, people don't talk about those things and we don't highlight that enough. So we might talk about people having sex, but we don't talk about ages. We don't talk about the struggles when it comes to those ages. We don't talk about just even like your proximity to services and what that looks like and how that affects you having sex or even just, as I'm big on lube. Like you trying to use lube for different acts or using condoms or the different brands of condoms or, you know, talking to your children is hard enough, but then also still having now we're the parents that has to parent our parents. So it's, it's even that conversation needs to continue. It's uncomfortable, but it needs to get done. So I think that's what I'm here for. For me, I would say is my job is not just to talk to my child or people that's younger or talking to people that's my age, but that's what I'm, what I'm doing is opening up these conversations, even for work, not if you work in a corporate, but that's also sexual harassment, which is also part of sexual health as well. Mm -hmm. It's so sexual health is not just one, a one size fits all conversation. It's so big and vast and broad that it really is put your, your hand in a cup and then pick a topic and then we could talk about it kind of situation when it comes to sex and sexual pleasure. They tripping me out. In the comments, you see Teresa almost 50 and these hormones are fire, feeling like a teenager. <laughs> 
Bridget was like, um, desire, want, need. It's a struggle, but I'm not giving up. Folks swear 50 or 60 is old and it's not. It's not. I used to think 27 was old. I thought 25 was old. <laughs> now I'm, th- I'm about to be 37 and I'm like, oh, I'm almost 40. Oh, the moment they stopped carding me, I was like, you don't want my card? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> um, and then Teresa also said that if we're not talking to our children, someone is, and they're probably being misinformed. So I definitely appreciate your approach to that. Yes. Um, <laughs> I feel bad for my son. They said, what's wrong with being 40? <laughs> nothing's, no, nothing's wrong with being 40. It's just, okay, so I, I'll tell y'all this, right? For me, I didn't think that I would reach 16, right? No, it's not wrong with being 40. I didn't think I was going to reach 16. And then to reach 20 was like, oh, I made it. Because like for a lot of us, we heard so, so much that you're not going to make it. Like, be happy that you're here. And that was a big narrative from different people that I've heard is just be happy that you're still here. Um, And then to reach 30 and to say, having that 30 life crisis where most of us is like, am I where I'm supposed to be at? Am I doing what I should be? And then now you're 35 and you're like, I think I got the hang of this. So now to unlock level 40 and I'm almost there and it's a level like a game because I think the whole world is a game, but (laughs) to (laughs) unlock stage 40. I think it's going to be amazing for me. I'm excited to get there, but it's so overwhelming because it's like, what am I walking into? So I think that's the the scary part. So it's not so much of like, oh my God, 40, but like, oh my God, 40. That's crazy. Because I could remember 20 years ago now. You know, 20 years ago, I was, whoa. So yeah, and just seeing the evolution of like this womanhood and then know that, like I'm still Cece, I'm still Sierra, I'm still, and I'm still going to have these things. I'm not giving up neither, Bridget. Darn it. Um, <laughs> you still gotta do that when you're married, though. Like it's not. I know, like it's different because I don't want to be married. What's the um? Sorry, <laughs> but keep going. That was a great point. I got thrown off. But um, yeah, I think it's it's a different fight. It's a different struggle when you're married. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's, my inside said, "Girl, <laughs> sometimes me too." You sound like a different, a whole other hour. A whole different. That's a whole. It's a whole different hour. <laughs> we ain't got that much time. <laughs> That should be the next title. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, but being married is a, you still got to figure, first off, I'll speak on me. I've been with my husband for almost 20 years. We've together. So um, the ups and downs of you as an individual trying to figure out what you like, what you want. And I've been with him since I was 16. So at 16, I thought I knew something, but I really didn't. Um, so now at 36, understanding what I like more, but then still trying to explore that and understand that. As your body changes, like I, my knee didn't hurt at 16, but it hurts now. Or my back wasn't hurting 
at 20. Now my back is starting to hurt. Like it's, it's your body is doing different things than what it was before. And as it's doing different things for me, it's doing different things for him. And then trying to figure what that looks like. And then also having a teenager and then trying to have sex, what that looks like working and trying to have sex, but then also keep that spark. But then also sometimes we both recognize, all right, the kid's not here for a week. Sex sounds nice, but I kind of just want to go to sleep. Like that, like it's, Understanding that at times. So wait until 40, baby. Y'all getting me hype about 40. <laughs> I might have to have a 40th birthday party. Yes. yes. But married people get, it's a, a different type of navigation. And it's also a different type of treatment that providers give you as well. Because I also, when I was breaking that down to my old doctor, he was like, why don't you want to have sex with your husband? You should be having sex with your husband. And I'm like, Dude, I'm in full-time school with a full-time job with a toddler. Who's thinking about sex? I'm thinking about sleep. I'm thinking about, do I have enough money to buy ch Chinese food because I don't feel like cooking? So even that conversation um, looks different for a lot of people who's in committed relationships or marriages or that's not single. So we're going to end conclude with this last comment it was when um krista posted a moment ago it feels normal to talk about sex positivity and pleasure in the msm community and that's why i'm extremely grateful for such a powerful conversation like this one you know um thank you so much for sharing so much of those intricacies when just being in a relationship, a sexual relationship, a relationship, a romantic one, a marriage, like all of those different dynamics can impact and affect how we are feeling the desire to want to have sex and feeling mm. the desire to be pleasured and all of those different things um, in our community, in our community. Um, Eliane, she says... <laughs> I am 25 forever, but when my body tells me, keep calm, you are old lady. I, <laughs> I love these comments. <laughs> this has been such a great conversation, interactive. Thank you so much for giving your input, comments, keeping this conversation going. As I asked a little earlier, the um, evaluation link is in the comments. Please take a moment to fill that out so that we can keep these conversations going. This has been a pleasure, no pun intended, Kim, to have you here today to talk sex, HIV, pleasure, women, and all of what we've been doing with She, Her Day. Thank you, everyone. So join us again next month for a, another episode, another live stream talking, you know, women's and women's issues stuff. So thank y'all. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful day.